Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. This week in England, climate protesters walked onto the M25, the country's busiest motorway, sat down and glued themselves to the asphalt. Traffic ground to a halt while the police unstuck them. Their demands insulate all of Britain's public housing to stop people from dying from the cold while also reducing climate pollution and creating thousands of jobs. In a country known for their stiff upper lip, the British public went bonkers that their commutes had been impeded. Politicians tried to paint the protesters as eco-terrorists and everyone blamed the police for not locking them up and throwing away the key. During the same week, the majority of England's gas stations ran out of petrol. I meet up with Cameron Ford to find out what the hell's going on. He was involved in all the latest roadway sit-ins with the group Insulate Britain that is spearheading the campaign. He's also a carpenter working on a job to insulate a 1930s house. That's where I go visit him. Cameron, where are we right now? We're in a renovation project in Cambridge. You just put in hemp insulation under the floor. Tell us about the house. So when we came to this house, there was a, a lady living alone here and she had just electric radiators spread around the house. There's no insulation in the house other than a small amount in the loft. And I hate to think what her bills would have been and just the fire hazard um, of trying to heat a house like that no, with no central heating. So we went through a process starting from the bottom. We pulled all the floorboards up. Uh, got to the suspended timber joists and put hemp insulation in the joists, keeping the floor breathable underneath, which is super important. Like, yes, we've got to insulate houses, but we've got to do it right. Like these houses are designed to breathe. So then we wrapped an air tightness membrane over the insulation to stop the draft coming through. And then we took all the sand and cement off the walls inside the house and redid that with a lime-based product called Warm Coat. Um, so that's insulative as well, and we'll be doing that on the exterior too. We'll create a nice warm house, and, and we're doubling the loft insulation up the top there. And you're a carpenter? Yeah, I work as a carpenter. About five years ago, I decided to move out of, I was in media. I thought that the, the world was going in a really bad direction, and I thought being a cameraman isn't going to be much good. Uh, I need to skill up, and so I decided to retrain in carpentry. What did that process look like going from cameraman to like how do you become a carpenter there's a couple different ways of doing it given that I was 25 when I started it I didn't want to do the apprenticeship scheme because you're paid about four pound fifty an hour for two years it's just really difficult to survive on that it's really designed for sort of 16 17 year olds so I spent quite a bit of money doing an intensive seven-week course and then you kind of kicked out the door and wish good luck okay so back on the hemp so like people think about insulation, a lot of it's made out of fossil fuels itself, like fiberglass, hemp. Like, is it pretty good as an insulation? 
I'm not sure what the U value is on it, but I've been using it on like garden studios that I've been building and they've gone through the winter now and they say, you know, it does not take much to keep them warm. And that's just with 70 mil in the walls and 100 in the floor and ceiling. I've seen pictures in the winter when there's all frost outside and there's frost across the roof and they've got it at 20 degrees inside and the frost isn't melting on the roof. So the heat isn't really escaping the buildings. I just bicycled here. You pass maybe a thousand homes that look just like this. I mean, how big an issue is insulation when you think about the heating needs of Britain? The UK uh, has some of the leakiest houses in Western Europe. We have a large housing stock that is just not up to standards. And that's not even dealing with the needing to retrofit the houses being built today because they're not up to standards. So it's an ongoing issue that we're not really um, cutting off from the source. So the, the poorer you are, the more you're spending of your disposable income on energy to heat a house that's leaky that's then polluting the planet. Yeah, a lot of people can't afford the, the capital cost of insulating a house or doing some of these measures like changing to double glazed windows. So it does really rely on government influence and finance to enable those houses to, to have that done. So you read in, in the papers a lot about fuel poverty in England. Like what, what does that mean, Cameron? Fuel poverty is where after you've paid for the bills to heat your home, your income is then below the poverty line. And, and basically, there are 4 million children who in the UK who are living in fuel poverty, and 8,500 people won't make it through this winter because they can't afford to heat their homes, and they'll literally freeze in their homes. That's, I mean, that's terrifying. I mean, we, so in California, we talk about extreme heat, being the biggest killer. I mean, just the idea that 8,000 people is a lot. And with the rising gas prices, it's going to be a lot more this year. And that has a knock-on effect on our NHS. That's the National Health Service. Which is already struggling to keep up. Uh, I believe we spend about $1.4 billion on the NHS cost for people who are suffering from illnesses related to fuel poverty. Is this kind of seen as a national crisis? I mean, 8,000 people are dying of anything you would think would get a lot of attention. No, no one's been talking about it. Generally, issues that affect the poor aren't really spoken about in the way that they need to be. And that's why the campaign of Insulate Britain has come to the top to really bring attention to this really drastic issue it doesn't take much it's it's very straightforward it needs no new technology it creates hundreds of thousands of jobs in the process and it reduces co2 emissions we're just trying to help the government meet their own co2 emission targets which they're not meeting so we've we've come up with a plan we've talked with industry professionals and we're just basically handing it to them Eight thousand people dying a year from the cold is a horrible, horrible death. And why do you think it isn't getting the attention it deserves? Yeah, I think it's part of this business as usual approach. So if we create new technology and we're going to like have innovation and we can just like basically keep selling you stuff, that's a really good way to get out of the climate crisis, they feel. Whereas we're like, actually, we just need something really straightforward. We're not looking for new ways to heat homes. It's not innovative. It's not that exciting. It's quite straightforward to do. We could get people skilled up and feeling like they're part of the solution and employ a lot of people in the process of doing that with proper jobs. How are people in the trades viewing this? 
I mean, in the UK, we don't have as strong unions as North America. That was crushed in the 80s, predominantly by the Margaret Thatcher era. So we now rely more on people making personal choice. So if you're a landlord, you've got no real incentive to insulate a home because it's only going to save your tenants money. It's not going to save you any money. And as we have a massive renter economy here, it, there's no incentive for them to, to do that. If there's no market, then there's, there's no suppliers. I mean, there are like two places in the UK I know of where I can buy hemp insulation. There just aren't that many ecological building suppliers because the demand isn't there because there's no incentive. It's only through government grants. That's the only way to make this happen because business won't step in. It's of no benefit in their eyes to them other than they also live on the same planet that is going to struggle in the future because we haven't reduced CO2 emissions. People are starting to see that, but not quick enough. I grew up in the Thatcher era and her most provocative statement, which I feel like is going to come back around in this discussion to climate change, is there is no such thing as society. Right now we have a fuel crisis, everyone's out for themselves, filling up their jerry cans, stopping just people getting what they need. There's enough to go around, but it's that like sense of community that's gone, that responsibility to one another. So if you've got a, a society that is just about looking out for yourself, then of course the poor are going to suffer. The fuel shortage that, that's happening in the UK right now is like literally watching, <laughs> watching a 1970s sci-fi drama. Here's a, here's a clip from DW News. Now, Britain says it will issue thousands of emergency visas to foreign truck drivers to help ease supply chain problems that have led to fuel rationing and empty shelves at supermarkets. In the aftermath of Brexit, thousands of foreign drivers left the UK since they could no longer work visa-free. And now ordinary Britons are feeling the effects of that. Chaos at the petrol station. Despite government pleas not to panic buy fuel, long queues have built up at the pumps. Is there a concept in the UK of environmental justice or injustice? We're starting to talk more about inequality. Cambridge is, one, is the most unequal city in the UK. The divide between the rich and the poor is uh, enormous. And, and even between the two areas in Cambridge that are like a mile or two apart, the life expectancy is 10 years difference. So these statistics are all well and good. But if we don't emotionally connect to what that means, if we don't actually see that that means people dying prematurely, and as we've seen through this whole idea of what a key worker is and the people that keep our society going, they're not paid very well. And so when they get to their retirement, they haven't been able to do these works on their homes that other people are fortunately able to afford. So they're just kind of left out in the cold. Literally. So how did you start? Did you approach government? And Because this seemed, to your point, like a pretty non-controversial and in the scheme of all the things that people are calling for in order to save the planet from climate change, a pretty reasonable, right? We should insulate poor people's homes so 8,000 people don't die this winter. Hmm. What led you to the place that you were like, screw this, like no one's listening. We need to up the ante. We need to increase the volume. I went to a talk in about July and I think people had been working on this idea for a good number of months and getting together what it is that we need to, to do and how that plan would, would manifest. So then in August, a very clear letter was sent to the government about what needs to happen and how they can do it and we just got no response. 
We tried to do this within a democratic way. We tried to ask them, will you do this? And just radio silence. So that's what encouraged us to be like, right, we need to bring the media's attention onto this issue of fuel poverty. If you have people who are willing to get locked up because of environmental reasons that they don't feel enough being done, the world will hopefully go, hang on a second, You've got peaceful protesters in prison for demanding you insulate the houses of the poor. That doesn't sound like you're the leaders of the, of the Green Revolution. Obviously, their goal then is to make you look like you're not peaceful protesters, but kind of crazy people out there that just want to close down the freeways and highways and like that your demands are insane. So here's one of the UK's most uh, reactionary and spiteful pundits. Uh, Nigel Farage saying what he thinks about your protest, Cameron. So the idiots are at it again. Can you believe it? Today, Junction 3 of the M25 and 27 people at that Swanley roundabout have been arrested. Yeah, once again, once again, it's just awful. We've had paramedics shouting at protesters, trying to get them out of the way. Horrible, ugly scenes. Uh, and there they are, gluing themselves to the road. But here's the bit that makes me mad. Not just that they're inconveniencing people, not just that they're costing people money, not just that they're making people miss funerals, weddings, flights. What really annoys me is these people, and we were told there was an injunction last week, the government had put something in place that would deal with all of this, but all that's happening is they're being picked up, perhaps detained for 24 hours, and then released again. And unfortunately, one or two of these people have now been arrested five times in ten days. That's right, some of these hardliners have been arrested five times in ten days. Yeah, the media machine has gone to work on us. Traffic happens all the time. I don't know if you've travelled the M25 much, but it's constantly in traffic. This is nothing new. And so a lot of, like, car crashes will be pinned on us and other incidents, and they're trying to undermine us. We do practice non-violence, so it's really important that, that we stay with that and don't let them turn it anything different. So... You know, we're sitting on the road and we're having people drag us off the road. We're having people spit in our faces. We can't start kicking and screaming back because that will undermine what we're trying to do. So it's really difficult when you've got when you've got that, you know, aggression coming down at you. But we're, you know, we're trained. We go and do some training to, to practice for this. And how are you trying to weave the narrative thread so that the public understands the threat of climate change? Yeah, it's really difficult. People zoom right in on, well, aren't you causing more pollution by causing these traffic jams? And it's like, if our demand was met, the amount of pollution caused from our action would just be a tiniest fraction of the CO2 that we would save going into the atmosphere. You're 30, you are handed a planet that is in really bad shape. How does that inform your worldview of like how much needs to be done, how old you are, how you're thinking about life? Yeah, I think if you're younger, typically you feel, well, I've got most of my life ahead of me, hopefully. This is going to impact me more. And the people who are typically older and saying, 
well, you can't, you know, this isn't how you go about it. There's better ways to do it. It's like, that's all right for you to say. You've got less of your life. You're not going to really see the, the apocalypse that is coming our way. Like we're going to be the ones who really experience what it's like to have zero food on the shelves. People queuing in traffic for days trying to get to a doctor's surgery that has the medication that they need to just live their everyday life. Like That's what we're going to be facing. pictures of you Cameron it looks like you know the cars are coming along and you just kind of walk out into the road so there's a couple different ways we've gone about it and the plan was to never step out in front of traffic that's moving at any sort of speed so most have been done at junctions at traffic lights where it's safe to get out whilst the cars are stationary the police took a different approach on the last one I did where they were stood at the side of the road as soon as they saw us waving the traffic forward insisting that the traffic does not stop People naturally slow down because they want to see what's going on. It wasn't ideal, but we knew that we had to take a bit more of a risk in that scenario because we have to cause disruption. If they just keep you on the hard shoulder and scoop you in the back of a van, put you in a police cell, it doesn't make the news that day. You've not caused the disruption that encourages the government to act on this. So, yeah, in that scenario, unfortunately, we had to walk out into traffic. It was pretty scary, but... I felt assertive and I looked the driver in the eyes and I knew they weren't going to carry on driving. We seem to be successful. Here's a clip from BBC Radio. The protest group Insulate Britain has been responsible for bringing the M25 to a standstill three times this week as protesters block junctions on the UK's busiest motorway. There were also disturbances on the M3, M11 and M1. They want the UK government to bring forward its pledge to make sure Every home in the UK is insulated. And they say that more action is on the way. So how many times have you been arrested now? I've been arrested four times. The language they use about you and all the blowback in the newspaper is about why these police are being too soft. It's obviously the police's job is to keep everyone safe, and that includes the protesters, which is our democratic right. I mean, demonstration is a cornerstone of democracy. We're allowed to do it. And, and that is a privilege that we have in this country and one I feel obliged to use because other countries are not so fortunate and the police are more heavy-handed. So it's important that we do use that privilege that we have. Yeah, we're being painted as monsters for causing traffic and we're just trying to say, surely the monsters are the people that are letting 8,500 people die from the cold and damp in this country each year. Surely the monsters are the ones who are sending us off the cliff with our CO2 emissions. People are missing the point and that the media is run by very few people and it's within their interest to continue the business as usual. But the benefit of a prolonged campaign like this is people will tire of getting annoyed with the traffic and you're seeing that now the media is starting to engage with what is their demand and isn't that a reasonable thing to start demanding so it's all part of a process we have very good social scientists as part of the the organizers who have studied what brings about change and we're just modeling that it's a process we're going through right now so cameron while most of the 
elected politicians in the UK have been standing on the sidelines or have been openly hostile to what you're doing. Uh, you got some good supporting words from the UK Green Party Member of Parliament, Caroline Lucas. Here she is. I have a proud history of taking nonviolent direct action, as does the Green Party, and we do believe that it is legitimate when other forms of, of trying to raise issues with the government have failed. As long as it is nonviolent, then I think we need to understand why protesters have taken this extreme action. You know, Ban Ki-moon, the former UN General Secretary, has said this is an emergency, and in emergency situations, we need to take emergency action. I believe that's what those protesters were doing. Um, it is a, a really difficult thing to try to capture on a mild September Sunday, the fact that we are facing an existential threat to life on earth. That feels a very odd thing to say over your breakfast, but that is what we are facing. When it comes to the demands of those protesters, they want the government to insulate Britain. I cannot think of a more reasonable demand. It's a, it's a triple win. It would get our fuel bills down. It would create hundreds of thousands of jobs in every part of the country. It would get our climate emissions down too. Why has the government failed to do that? How do we avoid green backlash like the yellow jackets in France? And, you know, it, it feels like you do, the perception is, or the risk is, you do too much to push. And people like, oh, whoa, whoa, this, this is, uh, we didn't sign up for this. If you don't do enough, then the planet is screwed. I like to think that people being delayed in traffic is not going to make them want to do any less about the climate crisis. That's the world I'd like to live in. We're not even really asking for lifestyle change. You know, we're not tackling flying or meat or these sorts of things. It's like something that, that just needs financing. So hopefully people can see beyond their, their little inconvenience that they're experiencing and see the bigger picture of we're trying to save lives directly in fuel poverty and all life through CO2 emission reduction. But the thing that has shocked me the most, Cameron, is that people aren't reacting. That they're, they're acting as if being held up in traffic for five minutes really is the end of the world to them. And the level of anger and vitriol of people in those cars towards you guys was the thing that actually shocked me the most. Yeah, I found that really shocking how many people are like this close to absolutely losing it. Like I couldn't imagine driving to work and then getting held up by a protest and then just losing it completely and coming up with all sorts of insults and threatening behavior and dragging people out of the way. So I think that must be saying something about the state of the well-being of our society. People are unhappy. I think people are worried too. People know that there is a climate crisis. They don't know how to do anything about that. And that's a really scary place to be as well. And so they're just trying to keep their head down and get on with their job, which I understand. They just, you know, they're just seeing the short term, I've got bills to pay, I'm self-employed, if I don't get to work, I'm not going to get paid today. So I understand people's short term vision, but we need everyone to really acknowledge the truth that we're in a period of extinction right now. And by extinction, you mean ours? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're losing many different animal species every day at the moment. And we're a species too, we're part of that list. Children that are dying today from the climate crisis aren't in the UK. You know, we're sheltered by wealth and luck of geography. So we're unable to really connect with that truth. The people, you know, people in California who have had their houses burned down, I mean, that's a very real experience and it's actually impacting their lives. And therefore, it's much easier to go into action. But 
I mean, your the point of your campaign is about the responsibility of the UK. Yeah, you have the most influence the more local you go. That's the power that every individual has, that they can try and affect their local vicinity. And so, yeah, let's not try and shaft the blame. We're all doing really bad at this. There's no one who's doing really well and can get off lightly and kind of be the hero of the day. What do you hope happens in the next six months, Cameron? I hope that the government sees that our plan makes a lot of sense and that it aligns with the laws that they themselves have signed up to, which will hopefully be further entrenched from the next COP meeting, and that they enact it and they start it right away because we're demanding that all social housing is insulated within the next four years. So that really needs a a very concrete plan and a real rapid mobilisation of people and materials and skills. I think we have to remember, at the end of the day, the cost of not doing enough is going to be far greater the whole idea of a stitch in time saves nine. That's what this is. Let's spend the money now. Let's save the 1.4 billion a year on the NHS bill. Let's save the cost of the energy. Let's save the CO2 emissions. It's like, let's just have some forward thinking here. So are you the type of person that ever thought you would be sitting on a highway stopping traffic? I did not want to get arrested. That's not something that I wanted to do. I also didn't want to sit on a road. That's, it's really not a pleasant experience. I want to get on with my life. I love building. I want to carry on building. You know, I'll have to go to court at some point and there will be some costs that I will have to face. So Sir David King, who was the chief UK scientific advisor, he says that the next three to four years will determine the future of humanity. So when I heard that, I realized that, you know, it's likely at some point I'll do some action. I'll, like, try and hold the government to account. But if we've got a short window, maybe I just need to do it now. And so I made the plans. I told my client I had to pause the project for, for a couple of weeks. And, yeah, I just went for it. And are you pleased that you did? Yeah. When I, I mean, I hope to have children one day and, and to be able to say to them, I didn't just stand by and watch it happen. I really genuinely did try to bring about the change that was needed. What about your parents, family, friends? Do they think, Cameron, you've like gone off the deep end? Or do they like, nice job? Naturally, they're worried about me. It's not very pleasant to see your boyfriend or your son or your brother with his face circled in national press. I'm learning not to look at the comments on news articles and stuff now. It's just a lot of... Uh, angry people at home with nothing better to do but it's really not pleasant for the people that are close to me to see that happening to me and a lot of the people that are out with you demonstrating are older are doctors are i mean they're not when i saw the pictures they're not your average protesters they're they're pretty middle class and old yeah I mean, yeah, it's not just a bunch of hippies on a road trying to trying to save the world. In my group that I was with, it was quite a mix from down to early 20s up to like mid 70s. And we're all coming from different walks of life. It's a middle class. It's a working class. It's, it's, it's accessible to everyone. We all have to step it up a notch because the climate crisis is getting worse. And if we don't step it up a notch, then it's going to get on top of us. Some of the critiques from like the left are, oh, Cameron, now you've painted the government in a corner. They might have done what you wanted, but now it's going to look like they're kind of acceding to blackmail. 
Well, we've given them the opportunity of doing this before COP, so they're welcome to make it out like it was the, the meeting at COP that encouraged them to do this. Whether it is or whether it was us, it doesn't really matter. There's no ego in this. It's just about insulation at the end of the day. So they can paint it however they like. They're going to have to do it regardless. Well, from the UK government's perspective, the uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson and his Home Secretary have really started to feel the pressure um, and uh, they're kind of really ratcheting things up. Here's a, another clip from the BBC radio. Now let's talk about national highways being granted an injunction against the environmental group Insulate Britain. It could mean that protesters would be jailed straight away for contempt of court. Now yesterday was the fifth day that activists had run, literally run onto the M25. Police made 38 arrests. Now, this injunction effectively stops protests on motorways and A roads, and it was sought by the Home Secretary Priti Patel and the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps. They claim the protesters have alienated the public. It comes into effect later today. Now, I've been talking to Lisa Townsend, who is the Conservative Police and Crime Commissioner for Surrey, and she began by explaining the injunction. What it means is that our police force are no longer going to have to spend all of their time waiting and predicting for these protesters to come on. It means there's a real legal force now behind keeping them off. Um, and for Surrey residents, that means they'll be able to go about their daily lives much easier, those who travel through our county on the busiest motorway network in the country. Um, and of course, it means our force will be out and about on the roads and these people will finally be brought to justice. And what happens, Cameron, if the government just doesn't move forward with any kind of plan to insulate homes. This campaign isn't going away. They've tried to throw an injunction at us, which means we basically risk a longer prison sentence or our assets being seized. But like this is beyond that. This is life and death. And so more and more people are joining and we encourage others to join or, or start their own mass civil disobedience in a similar fashion to really, really start putting the pressure on the government because they're not doing enough. And, and quite frankly, we're screwed if they don't. A huge thank you to Cameron Ford for talking with Podshipper today. The campaign to insulate public housing to prevent thousands of deaths and help reduce climate pollution is really a parable for our time. It just raises so many questions. Do we really support nonviolent civil disobedience as a core principle of democracy? Well, it seems like the answer is yes, only to the extent that those protests in no way, shape or form detract from the smooth running of our lives. When a government's obligation to reduce the human impacts of climate-related extreme weather comes into conflict with keeping traffic moving, why is it that traffic always seems to win? Is it because we're desperately trying to avoid confronting what we know is coming? Are we only interested in technological fixes to climate change that are innovative and cool? If the protesters, for instance, had been pushing for electric vehicles for low-income communities, would the reaction have been different? Is insulation just too boring? How do we avoid creating a green backlash where big oil and other polluters use public sentiments against any kind of protest to stop the climate movement from getting to a point where a majority of the public is fed up with inaction. Cameron Ford never wanted to be a climate activist. All he wants to do is work on insulating low-income homes. At some point, his frustration and that of many others got to the point where they felt unheard. 
I can't tell whether their tactic of sitting down in the middle of a freeway is the most effective, but what I can tell you is one thing. The insulate Britain activism continues to dominate discussions at pubs, family get-togethers, the news, and undoubtedly at 10 Downing Street. My prediction is that similar demonstrations are coming to a street near you in the not-too-distant future. And thanks to each of you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey. From the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spade, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jer Blumenfeld, let's do everything we can to insulate the most vulnerable from the impacts of climate change. <laughs>